Hello there, my name is Shirley Fisher and I'm an illustrator, creative business owner, and mom of two. I've been slowly growing from a part-time creator to a full-time working artist since 2016, so I know the joy and struggle of working for yourself and how mindset can impact your growth. It's here where we dig deep through vulnerable chats about running a creative business and uprooting our limiting beliefs. My hope is that you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered with a greater sense of clarity and community. So find a cozy spot, open up your heart, and prepare to be encouraged. Welcome to the Tillage Podcast. Are you feeling inspired and eager to make content of you working on your artwork from an overhead viewpoint? You know the one. Your hands are gracefully making brush strokes, or you're fulfilling an order with beautiful packaging. But how can you achieve that? Allow me to introduce you to Canvas. Canvas is an overhead lamp and a smartphone holder with incredibly versatile positioning, and it's absolutely beautiful. Anytime I need to video something or take a picture hands-free, Canvas comes to the rescue. You are going to want to add this to your Christmas wish list. Or I guess you can just treat yourself today. Use the code TILLAGE10 to get 10% off your Canvas lamp or head on over to the tillagepodcast.com to find the link today. Well, hi, Dylan. I am so honored to have you on the Tillage Podcast today. I'm so excited you're here. We're going to cover some really juicy and exciting topics today. But before we get started, I would love for you to share about your career as a working artist, how you got into it, what medium do you work in, and all the things. So if you could let us in a little snapshot of your life, that would be awesome. Yes. Hi, Shirley. I can't wait for what we're going to chat about. I'm like buzzing already about it. But first things first, I am Dylan. I am an artist. Um, You may know my work as being bold and with weird colors and flowers and lots of line work. One half of my job is licensing my artwork for fabric and greeting cards, stationery, home deck. If you can put art on it, I've probably licensed for it. And I have an agent that represents my artwork and works on that side of things for me. But I also am a little bit obsessed with teaching and sharing. I love connecting with others and demystifying how things work. It's just a strong point of my brain. And so I also teach online. I actually have 20 classes published right now on a platform called Skillshare. And It's really my dream to have these two things working in concert. I wouldn't like to have the art side without teaching others. And I wouldn't really like to teach others without having my own thing that I'm really growing and exploring and testing and kind of working with. My medium, I usually like a healthy mix of analog and digital. So I definitely love to have a tactile, you know, paint on like whether it's gouache or acrylic gouache or ink or whether it's ink, I like to use lots of pens, even just not fancy pens. Like my favorite is a Pilot Precise V5. It's like the best line quality ever. But all of my work ends up going through Photoshop. Um, I love Photoshop. I use it to hold on to all of the texture of my work and to keep all of those nice scanned kind of rough edges in there. Um, And I make a lot of patterns and do a lot of lettering. And so that's why I think my art lends itself well to things like greeting cards and stationery. I got into this by, I mean, I guess I was always told growing up that I was creative, but I didn't really 
resonate with that identity in me. Like I felt I wanted to be an artist, but I didn't feel I was particularly good or particularly creative. But like if I had to choose what group I was with growing up, it was with the art kids. Like I definitely wasn't a sporty kid. I played sports, wasn't good at any of them. I wasn't an academic kid. I got okay grades, but again, wasn't like fiercely committed there. And so it was like art was just kind of the thing I did identify with. And at one point I was trying, I was in school and studying to, I kept changing my major and doing all these things. And I think I had landed on wanting to be a dietitian as like a weird backwards way to like always be skinny. I was like, oh, this will help my food issues. If I become a dietitian, then I will always be healthy and I'll be perfect, which is its own discussion. But I'm glad I happened because when I was trying to sign up for some of the chemistry classes involved with that, I basically had a breakdown (laughs) and my adoptive mom was just like, you know, you don't, you don't have to do this if you don't want to do it. Like you can do other things. And her parents had very much raised her to be a person who gets a job with the state and you work and you've got your retirement fund and that's just how it goes. And she told me that while she was grateful for it, she didn't think it really served her that well. And so she gave me different advice and she was like, you're always doing creative things. Whenever you can do projects for school, you get your camera out. You love, you love this. Why don't you explore that? And so I left school and I did a one-year certificate program. I grew up in Michigan, and this was a local school in Michigan. And I basically learned a little bit, like enough to be dangerous is what they said. Like I learned a little bit of video editing, a little bit of motion graphics, a little bit of graphic design and video production and things like that. And it was great. I find that I do really well with hands-on embodiment of things and like really getting in there. And so I graduated and I tried to be a graphic designer and I tried to be a web designer and I tried to be a wedding videographer and I did all those things and I didn't like any of those things and I struggled a lot, but I just kept trying. I just kept trying to be a creative entrepreneur and I had work, I had work that would kind of hold me over, you know, odd jobs here and there, like design clients and stuff. But it wasn't until I was in a graphic design job, I was creating user interfaces for, for a company. It's boring. It was just user interfaces for apps and stuff. It sucks. (laughs) And, um, I just felt like I was in this creative industry and not creating anything. Like I felt like I was just these hired hands that had to create ugly work with decisions that I wouldn't have made. And I didn't feel like I, I know I just felt like a useless cog in a wheel and not like I wanted to be doing. And so I don't know what keyed me in on it, but I realized like in my graphic design work, I would buy assets to use in my projects. So I'd buy little icons or buy little cute things. And I never thought like, oh, someone's making those. Like someone is drawing those. I didn't really catch on that illustration was a thing. And so once I did, I just, for the first time in my whole entire adult life, set a goal for myself that wasn't tied to anybody else or no one depended on me succeeding. And I set out to do a 100-day drawing project to draw for 20 minutes a day. And I did it in private. I shared it on Skillshare, but that was such like a private art community that it felt safe. It wasn't like putting it out on Instagram. And I did it and I showed up and I got to see myself like actively grow a skill and do something that I didn't know that I could do. And it just kind of took off from there. I then wanted to get my first fabric deal. So I made a portfolio and went to quilt market and got my first deal there. And then I found my agent along the way with all the skills I was learning through my own illustration practice. I started to teach classes because I was learning how to use 
Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop in ways I had never had before. And I was like, oh my gosh, did you know you can do this and you can separate the background really easy? And so things just kind of naturally grew from there. And I think now people know me mostly in our industry as just like a warm sharer. Like I really like to be there. I like to help people. Like I said, it's not enough for my art business to succeed. If mine is succeeding and yours is like failing and struggling, then like the art industry is failed. You know, like we all, it should be stronger for all of us. And so that was a long answer to your question, but essentially (laughs) I make art, I paint and draw, and then I bring it into Photoshop and I make things of it. And then usually I learn something really cool that I then want to turn into a class and share with others. Well, I have to agree. I do see you as someone who's a warm, generous person in this industry, which is why I wanted to reach out to you because I feel like we share that heartbeat of just the community over competition and growing together and spurring each other on because this is hard and this is hard work and it's exciting work and it's a journey. It really is like hearing your journey from doing photography to trying all the things to being where you are now. That is such a beautiful journey, but it's more exciting and fun when you have others to share with it, honestly. Oh, yes. So you also, besides working, you know, licensing your work and doing Skillshare, you also have somewhat of a membership or like a mentor experience with other artists. Would you mind explaining that a little bit more? Yes. I have a Patreon group. Honestly, it started because I was spending a lot of time answering DMs on Instagram because I like answering questions that people have. Like I like being able to say like, oh, don't buy that printer. It's going to drive you nuts. Here's three others that are great that other artists love. They're within your price range. Like I like being that person. I like being able to share but I could, I was dying doing it, but like I was doing nothing but replying to DMs and I was answering the same questions over and over. And I was like, well, it's not that I just want to like charge people for my experience, but at the same time, like I've put in the time to get all this experience. I'm happy to answer your question. If you want to, you have to pay me at least $5. I think that's a reasonable amount. And so that's really where the Patreon came from. It was bred from this idea of like, I want to help these people and I want to be answering them. And it's really ineffective to be doing it in all in a thousand DMs behind closed doors instead of just having a conversation and creating a table where people can show up and be like, hey, this is bothering me. Hey, I'm I'm comparing myself to everyone on Instagram and I feel terrible and I don't want to post and I hate reels. And it's like, all right, let's talk about it. Like, yeah. let's have some space. And so- The Patreon is essentially, um, there's two calls a month where it's all based on people's questions and topics that they submit. So it's totally based on the pain points and what is going on for people. And we meet twice a month and we talk about it. And then those replays are sent out as videos and podcasts. And um, if you enter the $5 level, basically you can submit questions and listen to replays. And then as the tiers go up, it's just, you can attend the calls live and you can go to a Slack it really is a perfect in-between of what I think my specialty, my special gifts are in our community. Like I'm a, I like the art I make and I know I'm not a bad artist, but also like, I don't think I'm like the best artist. Like I think like, you know, it's fine. It's good enough, but I'm not like an incredible groundbreaking artist and I'm a good teacher but I'm not like just like I I don't care about academic curriculum. Like it's not that. It's like I really fall between those two things. I want to 
meet with the artist who is so scared to draw in their sketchbook and is instead trying to focus on like branding their business, but isn't practicing. (laughs) And I want to sit with them and be like, what are you doing? Who cares about your logo? Go practice. And if you're scared to practice, let's look at why. Let's talk about it. What's happening in there? Like what you're afraid to draw in your sketchbook. Isn't that so interesting to you? And So the Patreon gets at those people, the people who have resonated with what I've shared and what I've taught and just need a safe space to be like, hey, I have a quote unquote dumb question and I need to ask about it. So yeah, that's that's the membership group. Yeah. And I think there are people that, well, first of all, there's a lot of artists out there, but I think the artists that are wanting and seeking that vulnerability and that space to discuss are the people that are finding you, which is super special. And you are a very vulnerable person online. You know, I follow you on Instagram and I've loved the vulnerability that you've shared there. And you're very open about also your diagnosis with ADHD. So we're going to kind of talk about that today as well as some other, you know, juicy topics, but can you tell me, you know, when did you get diagnosed with ADHD? What was kind of the the thing that spurred that on for you to seek out answers. And so if you can give us, you know, your journey with that. And if someone doesn't really know what ADHD is, can you give us a brief description of what that is? Totally. Yeah. So I'll do it the Hollywood style and tell you it as I came to it. So let's go back to 2020 in the spring of 2020. So world shutting down, the pandemic is starting And I have had my business, so I made my LLC in 2012, but I didn't start like really living off of it full-time until 2016. So I'm four years in, I'm, I'm making money. I've got great projects. Like I'm, I'm doing it right. I'm moving up. I'm doing the thing. And I know, all I know is I have a terrible procrastination issue, a really shameful, bad procrastination issue. And not just procrastinating boring things, but like Literally, I could tell you, hey, Shirley, I'm so excited. I can't wait to bake you a cake tomorrow. Like, I, that's all I'm thinking about. And then tomorrow would come and I don't want to bake the cake. It's, I would rather do anything but bake that cake. <laughs> and so that's kind of what I knew. And I was taking actually, um, there was a class by Lisa Congdon on Creative Live where she talked about her workflow. And it's incredible. It's a great class. Like, she really lays out her entire structure for how she manages all of her work and all of this. And I'm, I'm so into it, right? And creatives and people with ADHD will all recognize this. Like we love a course. We love a spreadsheet and a worksheet and someone that says, do it this way. And if I was so excited. I was all in. I had all of my spreadsheets set up. I was ready to do it. And there was a part in the class where someone asked like, okay, well, you've got all this set up now. What do you do to like actually show up and do it? And Lisa Congdon said something to the effect of, well, I can't teach like I can't teach you that part. Like that's just the part where you inside know that you need to show up and do the work or something to that effect. And I just felt like the lights go out in me. Like I was just like, there it is, proof that I don't have the thing in me that it takes to do this work. Like the reason I'm avoiding my work is because I suck. And because I need to like not be so lazy and not so be so entitled and I need to work harder and I need to stop being a baby about all of this. And um, that was really a place I lived for a long time. Like it was really coming to a head in 2020. But I mean, basically my husband would leave for work because I worked from home and I would spend the hours that he was gone trying like 
telling myself I need to work on X, but I don't want to work on X. So I'm not going to do anything. And I would just basically just wait until he would get home from work to make it look like I was being productive or a deadline was finally close enough that I had some urgency that I would get it done and I would knock it out. And honestly, I would do it really well. And that was what was maddening is I knew I had it in me to work really hard and to do big things but I literally could not get myself to do it unless someone else, usually that was paying me money, like gave me a deadline and told me to do it. And so that's that's what I was sharing a lot about. At the time, I just kept calling it creative resistance. Um, and I was like, this is just resistance. This is just resistance to the process. But then it started to morph into this like toxic. I was like, no, I don't think it is resistance. Like, I think it's me. Like, I think I, think I like really suck here. And I was sharing with my friend, And she started talking about this like ADHD support group she was in. And it's funny thinking back now, because at the time I was just like, this is so, she must need to share about this thing. I don't know why she's talking about this, but go on girl, talk about your ADHD support group, like whatever you need to get out. And it took me a while to realize like, oh, she like, I'm really getting what she's saying. Like these pain points of procrastination, of feeling like you have all these ideas, but literally not knowing what to do with them. And all of these like basic issues of like not being able to shower regularly and having issues around money and just all of it made me feel like just a really like crappy adult. And so it was my friend who really gently made me see like, oh, this actually could be ADHD. And at the time it was surprising to me because my only touch point with ADHD was that it was the thing that little boys had and you knew they had it because they don't stop talking and they don't sit down. All I do is sit down and I like being alone and still. And so I was like, well, I don't have ADHD. Like none of that's my problem. And so my friend who had kind of keyed me into it, she told me about, of course, her support group that she had been telling me for months about that I was not understanding. And she was like, hey, they're having a webinar about like why you're procrastinating or what's going on. And so I went to it and I had not ever felt so seen and accepted and like understood by someone as the woman who was leading the webinar and just like telling me like, Hey, when you do things out of shame, you do nothing because shame is not a helpful emotion. And what if you changed your thought so that you felt differently so that then you could act differently? And just, she totally blew my mind. And I asked her, I was like, I don't have ADHD, but can I join your group? Because I really resonate with the plight of what you're talking about. And she's like, yeah, totally. And after joining that group and like really resonating with what people were sharing, but also I'll say also not resonating with what some people were sharing. Like some things I was like, yes, that's 10 out of 10 me. And other things I was like, no, I've never experienced that. And so I started to like doubt if I had it and I wondered if I had it and I couldn't like get past it without knowing if I had it, but it was still the pandemic. And so I didn't want to go find, I was scared to like go into a place. So I found an online place that you could pay like $150 and do long written answers. And you did this like whole evaluation And then a doctor in your state would review and like kind of let you know. And so in August of 2020, I got the first written confirmation that I had ADHD inattentive type. It was like the best day. It was so, so good because the biggest thing I had been holding on to was all that shame of just like, I need to be better. I need to be different. I should not struggle with this. Other people, this is easy for other people. All of that. It suddenly was like, oh, maybe it's not all me. Like maybe there's something else going on. 
And so since then, since 2020, I have, I've been part of that support group. I've learned a lot about ADHD. I'm kind of obsessed with learning about it. And as you guys know, cause I told you, as soon as I learn about something, I then want to turn around and talk about it and share about it with others. And what I found is when I started sharing about my ADHD, and I mean like the gross stuff, when I would share like, and I'm like, I haven't showered and I haven't done this and I'm putting this off and everything, it was really vulnerable to put it out there. But people were like, oh my God, me too. Oh my God. Oh my God. I didn't know that this was ADHD. I didn't know that that was a thing. I've never heard of that. And so that was the biggest thing was realizing that like ADHD is a thing and a lot of women have it and don't know they have it because it's misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us develop coping mechanisms that allow us to suffer in silence because we aren't outliers. We're not bouncing off the walls. We're not, you know, bankrupt. We're like kind of keeping the wheels on. And that kind of made me passionate for those creatives and those people who like, like me are like, I, how am I ever going to work on my dream if I'm like struggling just to like pay bills and get groceries? Like I can't even feed myself. When am I going to have time to like build an empire? So after, you know, being in the support group and spent like, I was just kind of trying to work on skills that would help my pain points for ADHD. But it wasn't until the summer of 2021 that I found myself like in a pretty yucky, depressive state. Like I was literally, I'd wake up and I would play phone games on my phone until I went to bed. Like I could not do anything. And um, I had a therapist at the time through BetterHelp and I was telling her about it. And she actually told me that she didn't suspect that I had underlying depression. She suspected that my unmanaged ADHD was enabling me to burn out incredibly quickly. And then because of that, I would go into this state where I could do nothing because my body was literally just trying to recoup any energy and dopamine it could. And then I would start back at the top and waste all my energy just trying to get through my day. And so she made the point, she was like, if you think it would be helpful, I would recommend going to a psych and discussing medication. She was like, I think that it would really help with these spikes with, you know, she's like, you do okay for a while, but then it's like, it all comes tumbling down and then it's a crash and burn thing. And so I did see one of the psychs that she recommended and he, and this was like last fall, he put me on Adderall. And so that was really exciting because I got to see that my brain can be different. Like medication was really effective, but then it was really great because now I actually don't take medication. I still have my prescription, but I only take it when I need it. And I haven't had any in like two or three months. And so it's really a low thing for me, but I bring it up to say that the journey keeps going, you know, like I spent a lot of time before I even got diagnosed, I spent time just sitting with understanding what ADHD was and the fact that I could maybe have it. And then when I got diagnosed, I spent a long time just sitting with that and learning about tools that could help me before I even looked into medication. And then I looked into medication and it was helpful. And I've had like my experiences with that. And now I've come into this new chapter where like, it's a tool I have, but it's not necessarily something I rely on. And so just to say that there's people that will listen to this that are going to be like, uh-oh, I think I might have this. And you might feel part of your brain go, well, I, I don't have time for that. I don't want to look into this. I don't want to be different. I don't want to take medication. And I'll just say, that's okay. If you have ADHD, then you've always had it. And so, you know, it's not like anything is going to change vastly overnight and you're allowed to take your time with it as you process and figure out what steps are best for you. 
We'll be back right after this short break. If you are loving the Tillage podcast, it would mean the world to me and really help the podcast out if you rated the show and left a review. This review came in from Alexandra and it says, this podcast is such a hidden gem for creatives and is so grounding for anyone struggling with mindset growing a business. I walk away from each episode knowing I'm not alone in these struggles or thoughts. Thank you for sharing your views and curating amazing interviews, Shirley. And thank you so much, Alexandra, for taking the time to write this review. And it means so much to me that you're listening to the podcast. Now back to the show. Well, thank you so much for being so vulnerable with your journey and story with that. Just so that people understand a more like clinical definition of what ADHD is and like what's going on in the brain. Can you describe that for us? Because I think, you know, you touched on a lot of points that a lot of people could go, oh my gosh, I do that. That I must have ADHD. But if you can kind of sum it up with a clinical kind of approach, that would be great. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for reminding about the definition of ADHD. So clinically speaking, Our brains, when they develop, let's say that it depends on how many depends on what doctor you ask, but let's say there's five to seven basic functions that all of our brains develop. So things like nonverbal working memory and working verbal memory, being able to plan or being able to inhibit your attention and say that thing is not as important as this thing. Very basic primitive brain functions. ADHD is essentially an impairment of these functions. And so if there's five of them, let's just for example's sake, let's say there's five of them. As your brain develops, these five strengths or these five executive functions are going to develop in concert with each other. And so if your nonverbal skills aren't developing and your other one is developing at the same time and they're working together, then you're going to get a different impairment than someone else who has ADHD who their nonverbal developed just fine, but maybe they have some other issues that impaired. And so this is where, you know, ADHD is at its most basic term. It's impairment in these executive functions. It happens from birth. It's not from a head injury. It's not from anything else. It's just how the brain works. And this can result in differences. And, you know, like for instance, AD, people with ADHD have incredibly low dopamine. This is what may result in them seeming as impulsive people because they will do anything to get that dopamine hit. It's not because they're trying to be crazy or out of control. It's because they're literally doing what they can to get the chemicals they need in their brain. And so it's a lack of executive functioning and the functions all do different things. And this is why people's ADHD can look different. So some people really struggle to read who have ADHD. They can't hold their attention or rather they can't inhibit their attention from everything else that's happening around the reading long enough for them to be able to comprehend what's happening. That's never been an issue for me. I can read for hours. I can read in the car. I can read, 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 read. It's not a problem. However, like I discussed, my procrastination was huge and everything. And so it's these very basic executive functions that can get inhibited and kind of develop a little incorrectly. And then the issues that they present in our life are the things that we see, like the inability to pay attention, the planning, procrastinating, all of those sorts of issues. Thanks for breaking that down. I had no idea about the dopamine and like all of the chemicals that are going on as well. It's really, really interesting. Like, even if you think of like, uh, not just people with ADHD, but I think any creative, if you ask us what we're doing when we're procrastinating, a lot of us are on our phones scrolling or maybe even playing a game. 
even phone games, when they vibrate or when colors explode, those are all things that they know make our dopamine levers go off and we get dopamine from them. And so when you see a person with ADHD procrastinating on their phone or watching TV, they're not being lazy. They're li- they're kind of being smart. They're picking the thing that's giving them the biggest dopamine hit just so that they can have their chemicals. The problem is, though, is we know that those things ultimately are fleeting and they don't actually lend themselves to like our fulfillment in our life or the relationships we have with other people. And that's the other thing is the impairments don't just affect our lives. They obviously ripple out and affect the people around us. If we're forgetting appointments, if we're leaving our keys in places, we're locking ourselves in like so many things can happen. And it's all because of ADHD is just kind of wilding out a little bit. Yeah. And I think mental health in itself is something that has come a long way with conversations and discussions about, but even like topics like ADHD, there's a lot of stereotypes or like assumptions people make. So if you were to say what it is that you wish people knew about ADHD or the truth behind like that person who has it, is there something that you wish people knew about ADHD? I just wish people realized how kind of slippery and maddening it is that it's, I think that there's sort of this myth that it gets overdiagnosed and that it's kind of like a crutch. Like it's like, oh, well, I can't show up on, on time to places so I have ADHD or I can't pay attention because I, I have ADHD. And that's just not true. Like a lot of us in the pain point of ADHD is realizing that you have a lot of potential and like not being able to access it and everything. And so- For instance, I know I have ADHD. I've been diagnosed twice now with it. (laughs) I have like, it's there. And yet I still doubt it sometimes. I still kind of get in my head about it because it is so slippery because it's invisible. It feels like I should be able to wake up and do the things on my to-do list that I want to be doing. But my brain is going to try and play games and make drama out of it. It just is. And it Like my tools and my skills with managing it have gotten better, but there are still days where I wake up and it's like I have amnesia and my ADHD is right back to day one and I'm struggling again to take a shower. I'm struggling again to figure out what I even need to do for work and how to muster up the energy to go do it. And so just to, I guess, increase the empathy and awareness that the people who have ADHD, I don't know anyone that has it as a badge of honor that they like using as a crutch or a get out, like a pass of saying like, well, I'm not going to try because I have ADHD. It's an incredibly painful and really confusing thing. And also when I started telling people I had it, a lot of people told me that I was wrong. They were like, no, you've always been a hard worker and you've always look at what you've done and look at what you've achieved. And so I guess for the people who don't have it to just like take a beat and to maybe listen and to not tell people what you know about this thing that you don't know about. And for the people who are just learning that they have it to not let others' reactions or any myths or anything you've heard about it dictate what your ADHD is going to be. Let yourself have your ADHD, you know, and to not let other people talk you out of it or tell you what it is or what it isn't. That's really interesting that people would say like, oh, you don't have this because look how successful you've been and look at all the things you've accomplished, but it's so much more than being productive. Yes. And I love that you shared, you know, the wrestling that you've had about feeling like, like even convincing yourself that you do have this. I know you wrote a blog post about wrestling with this feeling that it doesn't feel like you have ADHD all the time. 
Yeah. Would you unpack that a little bit further? I know you just touched on it a little bit, but. Yeah. It's like in one way, my ADHD diagnosis was such a relief from the shame, right. That I had been carrying around and it was like, okay, there's this explanation. There's this puzzle piece that I can now work with that I understand. But then there's these other times where, because it's, it's inconsistency. So sometimes I have these weeks where I'm just, I'm doing stuff and there's no drama and I'm, and it's all going well. And then there's these other weeks where it's just not, and it's just suddenly really difficult. And it's just really hard to be able to look at that and know that I had ADHD the whole time, but last week was really easy and this week isn't. It feels like it's something that must be in your control. It feels like it can't just be your brain because look, I did all of this stuff last week. Like I was fine and now I'm not. So it must be me. It must be something that I'm doing. And and similarly, like even last time I was in my psych, uh, his office, I was in the waiting room and I was reading a pamphlet on ADHD. And it was like, the pamphlet was literally geared towards people who weren't sure if they had ADHD to help like them understand it. And I read the pamphlet and I was like, yeah, I don't, that doesn't sound like me. I don't think I have it. <laughs> so it's like just this weird, like doubt that comes up of, because you feel capable and you feel like you should be able to brush your teeth and wash your face and do a few work tasks and send an email without it being the end of the universe. But then you get to the end of the day and actually dinner was really hard and it didn't get on the table and you didn't send that email and you put off that thing again. And it's just like, oh, it's so maddening. And so it's like you have these problems, but then I would read descriptions of ADHD and not resonate with it. And I'd be like, well, no, that's not me. I don't have that. I don't have a focus problem. I just have a problem not getting distracted, which is the same thing, you know, (laughs) like it's just, it's just brain games. And honestly, I think that it ebbs and flows with my own self-esteem and my, you know, when I am feeling when my self-esteem is low, when I'm feeling insecure, I'm definitely, my ADHD is absolutely going to flare up more and I'm going to have a hard time catching my thoughts that are actually making things harder and being aware of my emotions instead of just trying to push them away and hope that they'll go away. And also just that everyone's ADHD is different. I'll hear people who have ADHD talk about theirs and I'm like, you need to get it together. Like you really, (laughs) you need to pull it together. Like this is too much. And it's just, I don't know, it's just all of that. It's really easy to gaslight yourself and just to know that people's ADHD is different and whether you have it or not, that it's okay to have your struggles. You're allowed to say like, I know I quote unquote should be able to do this, but time and time again, I have not been able to. So instead of telling myself I should, I'm going to accept that I can't and like work from there. Like what can I do with acceptance instead of like force or telling myself I'm different? And whether or not, you have ADHD, we all struggle with shame. And I think a lot of artists struggle with shame because, you know, deep down there's this feeling of like the shoulds, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I should have been able to do that. I should have been brave enough. I should have had the motivation. You know, I talk about this podcast. It was something I wanted to do like two years ago and it's taken this long to actually make it happen. Like I should have been able to do that earlier. So there's a lot of conversations that can be framed around shame. Do you have anything else to add about like shame and the artist's journey? I'm sure you do. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, the number one thing. So I try to not be very prescriptive. Like even though I love sharing and like helping others, I really try to not be prescriptive because just because I've done something some way does not mean it's going to work for you or be a good fit for you and everything. But 
the number one thing that I have to bite my tongue on when artists are speaking to me is when they say, I really need to do that. Or yeah, I should get on that. Or I've been meet like they use these this language that they say it as if they're being the most responsible adult by having this responsible thought of like, well, no, I really need to pay my taxes and I just really need to get on top of my bookkeeping and everything. But those thoughts literally do nothing but trigger shame for the part of us that's not doing it. And then we like more shame and it just like, it's so weird because shame multiplies. And so like, as soon as you let a little bit in, you know, then more of it comes in and it's like, well, why I should have done that podcast two years ago. And since I didn't like, why am I going to start now? Now there's even so many podcasts and I suck. And I, if I would only say yes to things when I say I'm going to do them, you know, and then you're spiraling and you're not even making the podcast. And so a quick like little antidote to that. And the question's a little bit of a mind bender. It takes time to like get used to like thinking this way. But my coach, Kristen, from that group, I have ADHD and she has a podcast too. If you have ADHD, she says, actually, why should it have taken you like that long? So in your instance, like, actually, why does it make a lot of sense that it took two years? And it's like, well, you probably had other things in your business that you were doing. You probably obviously were prioritizing other stuff. Had two kids. (laughs) You have two kids. You're a mom. Like that alone is enough of an answer. And also like, uh, hello, you were developing a project that was going to put yourself out there that like, you're going to put your voice out there. You're expressing yourself. Like, of course it took two years. I'm surprised it didn't take 10 years. It's amazing. You did it in two years. And so already you can see like that shameful narrative of like, well, I should have been able to do it in two years. Okay. But you didn't, you did it in the time that you did. And actually it makes great sense that it took that long. And I'm so glad that you did. And so I don't know. I just, I love that shift of like, cause I hear that language a lot is like, I should do this. I should do this. I should have, I should be posting reels. I should, all of my art should look like it comes from one style. I should have a signature style. I'm so sick of those shoulds. Like they're all distractions that just take you away from like the actual thing that will take you forward. You know, it's going to make you a great licensable artist not your brand, not your Instagram showing up and having art to share. Like you have to have art and you can't have art if you're not practicing and you can't practice if you're too distracted telling yourself that you should be doing all these things or you should look like other artists. And so it's just funny because it's just a game. It's like we get so wrapped up in it of like, oh, I should, it. I should be able to make a podcast and I should be able to launch it in a month. And it's like, no one cares when you launch it. Like, do you want to make it? Go either make it or don't. Like, stop playing this game. Like, no one cares. Either make it or don't make it. Like, <laughs> So if you had a mic to drop, would you just drop it right now? <laughs> yeah. Like, stop. Like, I know, like, there's the, fr- like, people, even my grandma is like, don't shoot on yourself. Like, people love saying it, but then they love to shoot on themselves and they hold on to it like, They are the best, most stable adult because they know what's important. And I'm like, okay, but do you realize that every time you say I should, you then move in the complete opposite direction and do like 10 other things? Like, isn't that interesting to you that when you say I should, you don't? Like, isn't that connection interesting? And maybe can we change it instead of saying like, I should, I should clean up my studio or I should make a new portfolio piece. What if I said like, I actually really want to make a new portfolio piece, or I would really like to take a shower. Like even just changing the words from I should to like, it would be helpful for me, or I want to, or I'm just going to see if I can. Like those words are so much more helpful. And the example, um, we were talking a little bit before the podcast, but I was explaining like, especially with shame, 
And this is something that I got from my ADHD coach, Kristen, is she's like, let's say that, you know, we've got these vehicles, like all of us have a little vehicle to drive around in and the fuel, the quality of the fuel that we pour into that gas tank is our current emotion. So you can pour shame in there. You can pour acceptance in there. You can pour determination in there, but it's not anything else, but that feeling that's going to make your car go or not. And time and time again, without fail, not just me with literally everybody else, when you pour shame into that gas tank, the car does not go. Not only does it like go somewhere unhelpful, it just doesn't go. It's like, it just stays still. And so it's really powerful to get in there and say, okay, if shame isn't getting me anywhere closer to this portfolio I want to make, if shame isn't getting me to actually send off this email and submit it to this client, what could, and spoiler alert, here are some feelings that do a little bit better, capable, determined, accepting, calmer, like even just like calming yourself down a little bit are all like feelings and fuels that go in our gas tank and take us so much further. So with this example, if our feelings are gas tanks and everything, right, let's take it back to the should, all these good should thoughts. I should do my taxes. I should post reels. I should make so much art. I should, whatever it is. We hear those thoughts and we think they are responsible minivans. We think they are like the most adult thought you can have is to be thinking about the fact that you need to do your taxes and you're a good person, so you should do your taxes. We think that they are so reliable when really we pour that shame in there or whatever the feeling, because sometimes it's not shame. Maybe it just makes you feel fearful or maybe it makes you feel bored or distracted or whatever it is, whatever the crappy feeling that you're pouring in there. If it doesn't go anywhere, if you're if you're responsible minivan that looks so good to everyone else and looks responsible and it's got all these safety features, if you can't go anywhere in it, then who cares how good the thought looks? Who cares how responsible you get to feel by telling yourself, well, I really should buckle down and have a meal plan and do a more and I should get that newsletter going and I really should get it's like well, that minivan's not taking you anywhere. So can we try a thought that maybe like looks a little less exciting, but actually moves? Like one of them is this doesn't have to be such a big deal. That thought looks like a something that you settle for. That it seems like, no, that's a car that I'm settling for. I am not all about that. Like that's a bad thought to have. But when I think that thought, this doesn't have to be a big deal. I immediately feel calmer and I'm like, oh yeah, doesn't have to be a big deal. So I just want to say, look out for those thoughts that you're really holding on to because you think they make you a responsible person for thinking them and look at where they're actually taking you because telling yourself I should do my taxes only to not do your taxes doesn't make you a better responsible adult. It makes you a person who's not doing your taxes. So Mike, drop that too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that you've posted about it doesn't have to be that big of a deal before And that is even that phrase in itself can release us from all the perfectionism, all the fear of starting, all the comparison, because it's like, if it doesn't have to be that big of a deal, like starting this podcast or doing that piece of art or pitching to that agent that you want to be working with, I think talking about the gas that we're putting in our gas tank, I I love that metaphor. So you've done, obviously, a lot of work with... (laughs) working through like limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. and mindset stuff. What were some things for you with your diagnosis of ADHD? Were there like limiting beliefs about ADHD that you had to push through to, I don't know, 
accept that part of yourself? Yes, absolutely. And I want to give, first, I want to give an example. This isn't like speaking to like a limiting belief about like my identity with ADHD, but it was absolutely a thought that would come up all the time and derail me. And so it's like this common ADHD thing and creatives get it too is let's say you've got 15 minutes and you're like, okay, I have 15 minutes. I should work on X, right? There's the should. And then I immediately would say, well, I don't want to work on X. I want to work on Y. And my brain would say, well, if you're going to work on Y, then you really should work on X. And then I would do neither. I would do neither X nor Y because I didn't want to work on the thing I should be working on. Therefore, I didn't deserve to work on the thing that I shouldn't be working on. And so I just want to say that if you ever find yourself in that little loop, one of the thoughts that I started to adopt that was so helpful was, I can do anything next. I'm always on my right path. And all it did was just release me from that part of my brain that would get into black and white thinking and ping pong back and forth of, you know, as simple as if I have a day where I have to pay bills and grocery shop on the same day, my brain would be like, okay, well, do I, should I pay the bills or should I grocery shop? And I would ping pong back and forth. But if instead it's like, well, I can do either next, like I'm always on my right path, then literally it's just, I just fall into the thing and I just, it gets me in a trusting place. And so that's a good example of how like thought work doesn't always have to be like about these really deep seated, like traumatic thoughts and beliefs. It can be as simple as an unhelpful thought that you're thinking over and over that you like catch and try to change into something more helpful. But there are absolutely limiting beliefs that I've come up with in terms of my ADHD. One of them is absolutely around consistency. And so there's a lot of language in, especially for entrepreneurs, that you must be consistent. You got to show up on Instagram every day at the same time, and it's got to be an exorbitant amount of content. And if you don't do it regularly, then good luck. And that's just one example, but it's really, it's something that permeates the business world a lot of this like idea of being consistent. And spoiler alert, if you have ADHD, like you're just not going to be, like you're not going to be consistent. You're going to be consistent for a little bit and then you're not going to be. And guess what? That's inconsistency. Like it's just a thing that we have. And that really bummed me out for a while and made me feel like I couldn't be successful as a business owner or that I would always be straggling behind or like my success would be a fluke or it would be luck or something and not something that I could actually generate. And so I guess I just felt like because I couldn't be consistent and that's what all these wise business and marketing people were telling me were the key to success, that that meant I could not be successful. And so one thing, again, from my ADHD coach, Kristen, is developing being persistent over being consistent. And so persistency over consistency at all turns. That's been such a helpful thing to give me some grit to remind me that it doesn't matter if I flailed and crashed and burned yesterday after being like a rock star for three days in a row. Like, can I, can I show up again today, regardless of what happened yesterday? Yeah. And I think that when people with ADHD or creative people can really tap into that, that is what makes like, that makes you so strong to be able to show up in your sketchbook. Like, in, in a way, it's easy to show up for your sketchbook on the 100th day when you showed up 99 days in a row. It's very hard to show up for 30 days and then not show up for 30 days and then show up again. And I think that's where grit is born. And so that was a big thing is like, oh, I can't be consistent, so I can't be successful. And it's like, no, I'll never be consistent, but I can be persistent and I can keep trying to show up. 
I have found that for me, a lot of my limiting beliefs are all around black and white thinking. It's a lot of all or nothing. And so I've found a lot of success with finding just gray areas in between things. So for instance, on days where my ADHD is really loud and everything feels very urgent and I need to pick up the closet and make dinner and deliver three client things and write a blog post. And it's like, I'm stuck. I can't get any of it done. And I found that that's because my brain is telling me like, I need to finish all of those things. Like, you know, they're, they're all important. And so the thought that has really released me from that is 15 minutes would make a difference. And I have 15 minutes and just even saying it just now, it's just like, oh yeah, like 15 minutes, like I've got that. Like, I'm just going to spend 15 minutes here. And so a lot of my beliefs are, end up just like breaking things down and landing me in the gray area in between of two black and white extremes. One thought or belief in particular that I think affects a lot of people with ADHD is also just not allowing your emotional state. And so for instance, I would, you know, some days you just have bad days and let's say it's a bad Monday and I'm just not really with it and not going with it. I would tell myself all the time, well, I should be happy. Like, well, you should be happy because you pay your bills and you work from home and you don't have kids and you have, everything's fine. Like everything's cushy. So you should, you should be fine and you should be able to go throughout your day and do this stuff. And that was really difficult because I would live there and be like, well, that's true. I, I am, I am doing fine. And I shouldn't like other people have kids and crazy schedules and commutes. And I don't have any of that. So I shouldn't feel the way that I'm feeling. And again, that's just more shame producing. You're literally shaming yourself for your current experience that you're experiencing. And so getting on the other side of that is as simple as just saying like, I'm upset today and I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to have a crappy Monday like today, or even just saying like, today, I feel bad. Today is a bad day. Like there's so much toxic positivity about not being able to judge things. And it's like, you're allowed to tell your, you're allowed to say like, this day sucks. I hate this day. Everything about it is bad. Even though my brain thinks it shouldn't be, it just is. And then you're working with acceptance and acceptance is such a better feeling. And so that's just another great example of those, like the minivan that takes you nowhere versus like the clunker car that actually drives, like saying today is crappy on the surface looks really bad. It's like, Ooh, really? That's the thought you want to go with. But if that thought then triggers this feeling of acceptance for your actual like emotional state, then you've just done so much more for yourself than bashing yourself over the head for why you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling and why you should be happy. So it's really bigger blanket things like that. It's like we all experience our insecurities and our black and white thinking in different ways, especially with ADHD. But all of my thought work comes back to being accepting and being gentle and asking myself what other perspectives could be could be invited in there instead of just my one dark one that I'm holding on with like white knuckles. Like everything that you've said has just very much shown that you're a very introspective person and that you've taken the time to do the soul work inside to even recognize these things that are ping-ponging inside of you. So I love that. That's what this podcast, a lot of it is about is, you know, reflection, journal prompts, introspective ideas or topics. So I absolutely loved this discussion we had. I could talk about shame. I think we both could talk about shame until sun sunset, probably, um, because there's so much there. And I just, I loved this before we close 
uh, before I forget too, can you give us the podcast of your mentor that has the, the podcast on ADHD? And then if you could tell us where people can find you on social media and if there's any like projects that you want to share with us that you're working on. Yeah. Um, so her name is Kristen Carter. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-C-A-R-D-E-R. And her podcast is called I Have ADHD. And her website can be found at the same. It's IHaveADHD.com. And the group that she leads is called Focused. They're wonderful. Honestly, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at by Dylan M, but I haven't really been on there. I've kind of pulled, I've been pulling back a little bit. So if you want to be in my orbit, if you want to know what's going on, I would honestly recommend signing up for my newsletter. I send four a year and the fall one will be coming out kind of soon. People say it's like an art magazine from their bestie. And so it's just a nice, it's honest. If you want to know what's going on in my world, that's, that's the place to do it. But if you are an artist and you want like space to chat or you've got questions or concerns, like come on over to the Patreon group and you don't have to, the whole great thing is you can come as long as you want and then leave and get what you need and leave the rest. So you can find that at patreon.com slash by Dylan M B Y D Y L A N and then an M at the end. And yeah, my website is also by dylanm.com. That's how you can find the newsletter. But honestly, I'm available. Like I just... If you're drawn to me, I know you'll find me and we'll connect and everything. But um, for now, the newsletter is the best place. And then the third thing, oh, you asked of current projects. Let's see what's going on. Actually, yes. So I, I can't believe this didn't come up. Just shows how big this topic is and how we could go on and on. My most recent class that I just published is about bullet journaling. And bullet journaling has been an incredibly helpful tool for me. And not bullet journaling in the like really beautiful spreads that you've seen, like not the artsy, pretty, perfect ones. Those are fine. That's fine for people that want to do them. But bullet journaling is actually like a system and a really, really practical tool for helping to like manage our big lives because we do have to think about meal planning and creative dreams and accounting and our kids and just all of this stuff. And so if you resonate with what we talked about today, if you're feeling overwhelmed or like you just don't even know how to be an adult, I would really check out that bullet journaling class on Skillshare. You go to Skillshare, it's called Bullet Journaling Life Management for Creatives. And it's my best class yet. It's excellent. Like I know it will help you if you're resonating with this. Other than that, it's just I have some really cool illustration projects, but I can't talk about any of them yet. I know (laughs) people know how that goes, but fun greeting cards and a cool, a really cool media project that's brand new for me. So yeah, just keeping on, keeping on. And also I will say, I also love all things woo woo. Um, And so if you are interested, if you like astrology and human design and the Enneagram and all of that stuff, like I will, we can geek out about it forever. So I just have to put a call out there for my fellow dark hearted people. (laughs) Okay. So what Enneagram number are you? Uh, I'm the, I'm a four. I'm the one that's like, uh, everyone look at me and understand me. And I'm so unique. That's why you do so much introspection, like work. (laughs) That's why we were like, yes, let's do this podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I know what I'm going to be spending the rest of my afternoon doing is watching your bullet journaling class. Thank you so much, Dylan, for coming on the Tillage podcast. And I so appreciated this conversation and yeah, this was great. Thank you, Shirley. And honestly, thanks for being brave enough to start a podcast, even if it took you two whole years to do it. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's amazing. I'm celebrating that. Thanks. 
Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. A simple definition of ADHD is that the brain has difficulty with important functions related to memory, attention, and thinking, which is also known as an executive function deficit or disorder. ADHD looks different for everyone who is diagnosed with it. If you resonated with Dylan's story and think that you also might have ADHD, know that it's a journey and you're allowed to take your time and process which steps are best for you. Our should thoughts only trigger shame and shame easily multiplies. Feelings are like fuel to move our vehicles and shame does not make our vehicle go. Other feelings that are helpful that can move our vehicles are capable, determined, accepting, and calmer. Some mindsets that Dylan shared that can also help with limiting beliefs are, it doesn't have to be a big deal. I can do anything next. I'm always on the right path. Persistence over consistence. 15 minutes would make a difference and I have 15 minutes. And lastly, I'm allowed to have my feelings and feel this way. Thanks again for listening to the Tillage Podcast. It brings me so much joy knowing that you spent your very precious time with me here today. If you want more, head on over to thetillagepodcast.com for today's show notes. And I'll be back next week with another episode.